Okay, let's take our Bibles tonight. First Samuel chapter four. First Samuel chapter four. When a nation needs revival. When a nation needs revival. I don't believe God minds us being patriotic. As long as our patriotism doesn't conflict with biblical Christianity, you can, you can be both. But you got to know where, um, where the line is and uh, that we're fir our first loyalties to the Lord Jesus Christ. Certainly, I understand that. But mercy, I'm thankful for the country in which we live. First Samuel and uh, chapter number four is where we are here tonight. Our series is entitled that when a nation needs revival, when a nation needs revival. And it says in verse number one, and the word of the Lord, uh, I'm sorry, and the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now that really reflects the last part of chapter three and, and it flows into chapter number four. And so Samuel's not yet established as the spiritual leader of, of the land uh, he's still in the process of becoming that. And, and part of what needs to take place is God's got a clean house in Shiloh. And with Eli and Hophni and Phinehas and the family as it was there, and we'll refer to that a little bit later, it says, Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel and when, they joined the, and when they joined battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines. And they slew of the army in the field about 4,000 men. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts. In fact, throughout this whole account, it's always referred to in a, in a way that you can see there's, there ought to be high regard and respect for the ark. It's always the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord or something to that effect there. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Hosts. Notice this further description in verse 4. Which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, now you, you need to know they're about two miles away from each other. And they heard the noise of the shout. Now that's a shout. They said, what meaneth the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. We haven't seen this battle plan like this before. 
Woe unto us, they say a second time. I mean, they really, they were, they thought it was doomsday for them. Woe unto us, woe unto us. Who shall deliver us out of the hand? Notice how they say this. Who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? Plural. Polytheism. They thought the Israelites were polytheists. Well, maybe the Israelites gave them good reason to think they were polytheists. These, plural, are the gods uh, that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. And then they rally. They organize. In many ways, it's sad that the enemies of God had a better effort in rallying the troops than what the people of God had. Amen. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that you be not servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Quit yourselves like men and fight. The Philistines fought. And Israel was what? Smitten. And they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter. For there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. So that's a total of 34,000 that have died. Look at this in verse 11. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Bringing God, here's the title of the message here tonight, bringing God into your battle plans. Bringing God into your battle plans. I'm going to tell you tonight, you need more than just a token of His presence, friend. You need more than just a token of His presence. May God bless the reading of His Word as we get into it here tonight. A rally cap. Most often used with baseball, right? You see guys, they turn this, uh, they're down. They need a major comeback. They need a rally. And uh, this goes way back in baseball history. Uh, some say it started with the Mets. Well, they needed some kind of help for sure. Um, in the, uh, in the series. And so anyways, turning their hats inside out, sitting on in the dugout, you know, with their hats either inside out or backwards or, uh, kind of folded in and, and sideways on. I mean, you see all kinds of rally caps, you know what I'm talking about? Superstition, uh, rally squirrels in St. Louis and a uh, squirrel ran out onto the field in one game and changed the nature of the game. And then it ran out on the field in the, in the very next game. And so then there was suddenly in the 2011 World Series, the rally squirrel. <laughs> rally caps. I mean, cups taped to the sides of their heads. People with stuff stacked up on fans. I mean, it's not just guys in the, bull, in the dugout. It's fans that get into it. You know, they stack stuff up on the top of their heads. I mean, you see all kinds of stuff trying to get something to happen. Baseball superstition. It's time to bring out the rally caps. Well, it's not just uh, people playing baseball who are in many ways superstitious, although I'm not going to credit all of this, what happened to the children of Israel and them saying, fetch us the ark to strictly superstition. But they thought they needed something and that they did need something. 
They needed to rally and they had lost 4,000 men. They were in a dire situation. And so the elders of Israel recommended that they bring out the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord God of hosts. God had already spoken to Israel through the, through the unnamed prophet that was in chapter number two, if you remember that. And he spoke to Eli and and said that God, that God was going to judge his house because he had not dealt with Hophni and Phinehas, who were his sons, priests, along with him. And they were sinning against the Lord. I mean, uh, they were sinning against God by, by uh, indulging in the sacrifices more than what God was allowing them to have to eat. I mean, God would allow them to eat of some of the sacrifice, but they were taking the best cuts of it. They were taking the prime uh, cuts of it, and they were taking much more than what they should have. And, and not only th were they self-centered in the sacrifices, but they also were self-centered in their sexual indulgence with the women that came to the tabernacle, all the while they were serving in the tabernacle, and yet they were sinning against God. And God said, I'm going to deal with this. And God sent that prophet to Eli. And, and then basically what you have in chapter 3 is you have a repeat of the same message through Samuel, the young Samuel who was 12 years old. We covered that last time that we were in, in the book of 1 Samuel. And Samuel had to deliver a very difficult message. He did so respectfully. He did so thoroughly. By that I mean that he told Eli everything that God said, which basically was a repeat of what Eli had already heard. And I don't know how much time had passed between when the prophet, the man of God showed up on the scene to when Samuel delivered the message to when this seems as though as relatively shortly thereafter, after Samuel had delivered the message to Eli. But, but just suffice it to say this, that God had told Eli to deal with the problem that was at, at Shiloh, but he had not dealt with the problem at Shiloh. And now... They had a problem at Aphek, a place called Aphek. Um, Shiloh uh, would, would be here and then just about 20 miles to the west would be Ebenezer, a place called Ebenezer, ironically, which means stone of help, of God's help. So they, the children of Israel, are in Ebenezer. About two miles further to the west would be this place called Aphek. And that's where the Philistines have, have come. Now, we haven't heard of, heard of the Philistines for a while. I mean, they were back in the book of Judges, if you remember. Of course, they showed up there. And, and probably most notable would be how that they advanced and how that uh, Samson had run-ins with the Philistines and even loved a Philistine woman and, and then but, but stood between the pillars and, and God gave him one more thrust of strength and he killed a good number of the Philistines. And that really was the last Last time we'd heard of the Philistines, but now evidently they were back. They had regrouped, they had regained strength, and they were in the south uh, west part of Israel in the land there in the along the, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. But Aphek is further to the north, and so they had invaded, evidently, they had invaded the land of Israel. And so Israel responded to their invasion and sent troops there to Ebenezer, staging at Ebenezer, and then the battle ensued. And, and by the way, the Philistines, I mean, you have to really think, take all this into account. The Philistines were making their move all the while that Hophni and Phinehas were, were indulging in all the sins that they were indulging in. 
And uh, it serves to remind us that Satan is often on the move while churches are just going through the motions. And, and believers even are, are spiritually dull and asleep or, or involved in secret sin. Hey, listen, friend, Satan does not take a break. 4,000 men are killed in battle. Sin was really the cause here as they were defeated. And the men of Israel, the leaders of Israel, in verse number three, the people, when they came back and they gave the report, then the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smote and smitten, the, the, uh, smitten us today uh, there at Aphek? Why has this happened? They wanted to know that, which, by the way, that's a good question to ask. Why has this happened? Now, I, I think by the tone of their words here, you can see that they were accusatory towards God. Why has God done this? Well, if they really wanted to know, all they had to do was turn back in their Old Testament, turn back in the law, and see according to Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 15 through 17. If you want to jot that down, you can look at it later. If they really wanted to know why has God smitten us today, then they could have read this, that if you despise my statutes, if you despise my word, and your soul abhor my judgments, if you don't like what my word says, so that you will not do all my commandments and break my covenant, then he says that, they, that God would appoint over them. This is what he told them that he would do. He would appoint terror and consumption and burning uh, ague, which would be uh, like a, 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 a fever. There would be physical sickness. But also he said this in verse 17, he says, I will set my face against you and you shall be slain before your enemies, and they that hate you shall rule over you. Is everybody listen to this? God said, listen, if you break my commandments and you get away from my word, then you need to understand the enemy is going to come in and you're going to be defeated at the hands of the enemy. So if they really wanted to know why they were defeated, then they could have went back to the Bible to get the answer, but they were not patient enough to hear from God. They came up with their own solution. Now listen, folks, I, I'm saying this to us because if we really want to understand why things are going on, then what we need to do is get back to the Bible, get back into the Word of God, and let God show us why things are going on. Amen. But they didn't, they didn't really want to hear that. If they did, then no doubt God would have made clear that you've got to deal with the sin that is in the camp. You're not going to have victory against the Philistines until the sin is dealt with that's in the camp. Instead, they said this, we got a real battle on our hands. You know what we need? We need the ark. We need, well, in many ways what they're saying is, we need God here. Which that's true, they did. But they said, let us fetch us the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Verse number four, let us fetch us the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh. Everybody see that? Let's go to Shiloh and get the Ark. That's where it was. It's in the tabernacle. Let us go to Shiloh and get, and get the Ark. Let us fetch that and bring it unto us. And when it cometh among us, here was, what, here was their confidence. When the Ark comes among us, it will give us the victory. Now, what was the ark? I know most are familiar with that, but it would, it would be a relatively small uh, box 
that was about uh, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and about 27 inches tall. It was made of wood and overlaid with gold. It had two staves or poles that were used to transport it. It was basically like a, uh, maybe like what you'd have at home, you know, in a, in a, in a chest, in a, in a bedroom to keep memories, things of that nature. And so it had a lid, you know, that was there. And in, in the ark would have been the Ten Commandments, highly significant. Over top of that would have been the, the mercy seat. The mercy seat, all gold, solid gold. And it was the place where, where they would bring the blood every year and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the cherubims. And, and just imagine this being the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubims, the angelic beings that were, were constructed and, and, uh, and gold. They were overshadowing and their heads were down because of the glory of God. In other words, the Ark symbolized this, the throne of God. And, and in, the, in, the book, in the Old Testament, as you read about Moses, it says how that God spoke to them from the tabernacle and his voice was heard from above the, the Ark of the Covenant between the cherubims. Are you listening to me here tonight? So this was a place of God's revelation. It was a place, it was a, an item, the most sacred item. I mean, the most sacred item of the tabernacle. It represented God's presence. They were not to worship it as an idol. They were to look at it as a representation of God's rulership upon the earth. So it was a place of revelation. It was a place that represented God's rule. It was a place that represented reconciliation, that as God was looking down from above and the Ten Commandments that they had broken was contained within Then the mercy seat was on the top where the blood was shed and so instead of seeing the broken commandments God would see the blood there's a lot of preaching right there but basically you need to know this this was the most significant item of their worship and what they said is let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it in and if we get the Ark here then we'll have victory Now, this was not without precedent in their history. According to Numbers chapter number 10 and verse number 35, whenever the ark would move, then they would move. They would go out. And in fact, if you read in Numbers chapter number uh, 10 and verse 35, Moses would pray that when the ark would move, he basically would pray this, may, may the enemies of the Lord be scattered. All right, are you following me? May the enemies of the Lord be scattered. You can look it up a little bit later. I'm not quoting it exactly right, but, but that's the gist of it. He's saying this, that as the ark goes out, then, then may, may, basically it's symbolic, may God lead the way to victory. At Joshua chapter number three, then, then uh, well, oh, hang on, wait a minute, wait a minute. By the way, in Numbers 10 and also Numbers chapter nine, it was not like they had some kind of a council of the elders and the elders determined when they were going to pack up and move. No, it was, the, it was the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. And so when that, which was a symbolic of God's presence, when, when the cloud moved, then they moved. But it was not man determining when it would move. It was God determining when it would move. 
Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4, they're ready to go across the river Jordan and, and, and to go into the promised land. And God told them to do this, take the Ark of the Covenant. The priests are to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And when the priests come to the, uh, to the brink of the river and they step into the river Jordan, then the Ark of the Covenant is to go first and then all of Israel is to follow behind. God, God told them to follow the Ark. It was symbolic of, God, of them following God's leadership, God's presence in their life. Joshua chapter Chapter number six, you might remember this, that as Joshua back in chapter five had been confronted by the captain of the host of the Lord, I believe in a, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ, appearing to Joshua to give him the battle plans. Here's what the, here's what the captain told him to do. He said to take the Ark of the Covenant and, and to go around the walls of Jericho in the battle. Are you following me here? So this is not unprecedented that the Ark would be involved in the battle. I'm just simply saying this, this has some precedent to it. And so what they would do on that day is that they had the Ark of the Covenant in the middle and they had the army that was before, half of the army was before, and then the priests and then the Ark of the Covenant and the people that were blowing the trumpet. And then they had other soldiers that came in behind symbolizing this, that as we fight the battles of life, God has got to be in the midst of us. That's what it was symbolizing. And so they marched around the walls of Jericho. And on that seventh day, they marched around seven times and they blew the, the shofar, they blew the trumpets and the battle ensued because God knocked the walls down. I'm just simply saying, it's not without precedent that the ark was involved in battles. So when these people saw that they had a problem in Aphek, then what they said is, we need the ark. But they didn't seek God about it. They didn't pray. God wasn't leading in this. This was their idea. And thus, they formulated their battle plan and expected God to join them in their battle plan. And they assumed that God is going to protect his ark. And as soon as the ark gets there, everything's okay. And nobody questioned it. Nobody said, um, not a good idea. They went all the way back. They went, from, they went from Ebenezer, where they were in camp, all the way back to Shiloh. And they, and they spoke to Hophni and Phinehas, who were indulgent and and calling their own shots anyways. Am I right about that? And so Hophni and Phinehas said, great idea, let's go for it. They didn't consult Eli. Eli was 98 years old at this point. He couldn't hardly see. And I don't know what they, I don't know what they did with Eli. I mean, Eli's heart trembled because of the ark. We'll read that later in the chapter. So he was concerned about how this was gonna go. Hang on just a minute, wait, wait, wait just a minute here. He already knew how this was gonna go. He knew that the prophet of God had said, listen, you, you're, he said that, that your sons are going to die. And, and, and he knew that things weren't going to go well. And, and yet he didn't have enough fortitude evidently stand up and say, wait a minute, this is not right. right. We're not supposed to do this. We can't use God to fight our battles. No, we need to follow God's leadership in our life. God is not our good luck charm. God is not our rabbit's foot. God is not our rally cap. God, God, is, God, is, God cannot be manipulated. God, God is, is to be followed. He's not to be used. He's supposed to use us. We're not supposed to use him. And friends, listen, when we go to the place, like one man said, when we go from the place from saying, thou art worthy to saying this, thou art useful, 
we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Because we are, we are asking God to join our battle plans. And I think there's some ways that we do that. And here, here is part of the problem. I mean, there's several things to think about right here. But one thing was this. I mean, it had the appearance, it had the representation that everything was great in Israel. I mean, here they come, and I don't know how many they had transporting it. It doesn't really tell us that. I mean, it talks about, it talks about Hophni and Phinehas being with the ark. I don't know, but if, if they weren't the ones that were carrying it, but if they were, or even if it were somebody else, one of the other priests that were carrying it, listen, there was a problem with that. But it looked like, oh man, look, now they're going into battle. Here, here comes the ark. Here comes the ark and here comes the priest and they got the ephod on. I mean, and they've got everything that's looking good. They're, they're going back to the old ways. They're going back to the old ways. I mean, this is like in the days of Moses. This is like in the days of Joshua. We're going back to the old paths. Because we got the ark. God's not interested in a representation of what looks like his people. He's interested in a real relationship with his people. And let, let, let me tell you something. Singing old time hymns is good and right, just like the ark itself was good and right. But singing old time hymns is not what's going to bring revival. Old time preaching, I mean, it's got its place. It is, it, is, it is essential for our lives as the people of God to have old time confrontational preaching, Bible preaching. But I'm telling you, you could have a facade of preaching and not a real thing that's going on. Are you listening to me? Just, just having even the King James Bible and having all these things in the right place, having dress standards, having music standards, having church standards, having everything looking good on the outside will not bring the victory that the people of God need. It could be just a facade. It could be just a representation. And all of those things are important just like the Ark of the Covenant was important. But it was not that they were to have that token of God's presence. They desperately needed God's presence himself. Amen. And thus, they had problems at Aphek. 40,000, is that right? 30,000, how many? Died. 30. 30? 30. 30. That's a bunch. Thirty thousand plus four thousand. That's a huge loss. 34,000 homes mourning that night. 34,000 dads, husbands, their lives ended. I think the question we're supposed to deal with in this part of the, of the chapter is, is strictly this, why? Why did they lose at Aphek? Why did they lose and, and be so defeated at the problem that was at Aphek? I'll tell you why. Based on the text, it wasn't just because the ark was used in a wrong way, though that's a big problem. Please don't, please don't think I don't think that that's a problem. That's a problem. Everybody understand that's a problem? That's a problem. That's a problem. 
The problem was not the presence necessarily of the ark because the ark had been used in battle before, Joshua 6. The problem was not necessarily, not necessarily the, the presence of the ark, though I, I know they did it in a wrong way. The problem was not, though, necessarily the problem of the presence of the ark, but it was the absence of the God of the ark. And in fact, it wasn't just that God wasn't there. It was this. God was against them. God was against them. Why? But, though, but wait a minute. The, the situation, the, the question runs deeper than that. Why was God not present with them? Why was God even against them? Well, he told them why he was against them back in Leviticus chapter 26 and Deuteronomy chapter 28 and other passages like that. It was because of this sin was in the camp. You have Hophni and Phinehas who were committing adultery and fornication with women even at the tabernacle and they were feasting on the people's what should have been God's and they were living a sin. A sin life all under the guise of spiritual service. They had problems at Aphek because they had not dealt with the problems at Shiloh. And until we deal with the problems that are at Shiloh, you're going to continue to have problems at Aphek. Are you listening to me? You're going to have problems at Aphek. We're going to have problems at Aphek if we don't deal with the problems at Shiloh. In other words, for you and I, it would be this way. When problems arise, we're going to be defeated if we haven't dealt with the problems that are deep in the heart. God had warned them. God had, had preached to them through the man of God to get things right. And they didn't get things right. And God even used a child, like we heard here today, to, to speak about things that ought to be dealt with. And yet they didn't get things right still in Shiloh. And so the reason they lost at Aphek is because they'd already lost the battle at Shiloh. Say, so, preacher, I, I see that. I mean, just, just think about the weight of that. 34,000 homes without a dad because Hophni and Phinehas, two people, weren't right with God. Three people, including Eli, who wasn't leading his home, wasn't taking seriously the word of God when God plainly spoke to him. And that, that sin against God by hearing what God's word was and listen, 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 doing nothing about it cost them greatly. But the reason I'm preaching that to you tonight and the reason why I think God dealt with my heart about it all this week is because God oftentimes deals with us in his house from his word about things that are deep in our hearts, such as pride and arrogancy and a lack of forgiveness and, and indulgence and, and selfishness and, and lust and anger, and bitterness, and malice, and all those things that are, that are in our Shiloh. Are you following my, what I'm saying here? There's things that, that you know, and that God knows, and maybe nobody else knows, but you know that you haven't dealt with the problems at Shiloh yet, and you're wondering why you're losing at the office. Why you're losing with your family? Why you're losing? Why you're losing in the problem, the disagreement that is coming up with your spouse? And and there's problems at affect. But I'm telling you, wait a minute. The problems at affect are connected to what's going on deep in the heart, in Shiloh. Okay, uh, being the Fourth of July, let me apply it to where we are as Americans. Why why do we lose? Why are we losing a battle in Minneapolis? 
Is that, is that a decent question? Is it safe to say that we've lost a battle in Minneapolis? Police brutality is wrong. It doesn't mean that all policemen are wrong or bad. And those that do wrong ought to be dealt with rightly. But that is no cause for rioting in the streets and looting and burning down buildings. But I'm just saying, wait a minute, I'm just trying to take perspective here and not over-apply it, but apply it. Why do we lose at Minneapolis? Why are we losing at Seattle? Why are we losing in Portland? Why are we losing at Washington, D.C.? Why are we losing in other cities and, and, and universities that could be mentioned? Why are we losing in some of these places? Because we're not taking care of what God said to take care of at Shiloh. Yeah. Judgment must begin with the people of God, right? I'm not saying that we're directly related to the cause of all that, but, but I am simply saying this, that what if the people of God would be what God expected the people of God to be, just like expected Hophni and Phinehas to be, the people of God, and if you're going to carry such a sacred name and such a sacred piece of, 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 a, of an item of worship, and even if we are, can I borrow your Bible? And if we're going to carry our Bibles and, and be known as Christians, and yet there's lying, and yet there's, there's pornography, and yet there's adultery, or yet, that, yet there's, uh, there's carnal music being played in, in members' homes. Have we yet dealt with Shiloh? If there's bitterness from one person towards another, if there's a lack of forgiveness from one member of the church towards another, and I'm not preaching with something specific on my mind, but I'm just simply saying, perhaps we're not seeing the victories at effect because we're not dealing with things at our heart level like God wants us to. Now, I tell you, I am encouraged also to see this, that when God has dealt with some hearts, that, that people have taken God's word at, at exactly what God has said, and they've got some things right with God, and, and now their life is reflecting that, and there is unity, and there's peace, and there's harmony, and they're seeing some victories that are taking place in their families between a parent and a child, or a spouse and a spouse, or a brother and a sister, or, or all the members of the church. I mean, there's some great victories that are taking place right here. I am not... I am not overlooking that fact, but I wonder, are we seeing the amount of victory that we ought to be seeing, the number of souls saved and people's lives changed and families reached and buses running and classes started and classes thriving and, and people coming in on a regular basis and being saved and lives being changed? I wonder if we'd see more if all of God's people say, I'm going to deal with Shiloh right here yeah. and take to heart what God is saying to me and not overlook it and just run, get the ark real quick and send it in. So I think we can be in danger of using God when problems come. How do you view your devotions? Do you view your devotions as an opportunity and a place to meet with God? Or do you view your devotions as that which just kind of makes your day go better? I think we all would agree that the day does go better when you have time with God. But I don't think we're supposed to use our devotions just to kind of make our life go better. He, he's not interested in us having an outward appearance of things being right with God. He's interested in us having a real relationship with Him. I think it's right that we do our best to 
look like we're going to church when we go to church. But we ought not do that for ourselves. We ought to do that because we want to honor and glorify Him. Right. I believe when it's time to sing that we ought to follow the example of these young kids that stood up here and just had veins. The boys did. The girls didn't. Veins coming out in the head. Man, they were singing with all of their heart. Now, I would imagine some of them have some spiritual issues, wouldn't you? Probably so. But it sure seemed like they came in here ready to sing with all their heart, which means they must have dealt with Shiloh and cleaned things up so they could sing here and encourage us. I was ready to go out and take on whatever's wrong. Are you listening to me? We need to get our leadership from what God says. Not what we think will make this work. How does this play out? Well, you want your Bible back? Um, this plays out um, when there's problems between you maybe and your kids and you got to deal with a problem. Here's what, as parents, what we have got to do. I've got to deal with the problems in my own heart first. A big part of parenting is parenting myself. <laughs> Getting the beam out of my own eye so I can see clearly to deal with the speck that's in their eye. We got to deal with our issues first. It doesn't mean you don't deal with the issues, but I've had it before where I've gotten upset and that doesn't help things. But there is a righteous anger. You follow me. I got to deal with Shiloh first before I can deal with Aphek. You got to deal with your heart first before you can deal with their hearts. Same thing in marriage, same thing in friendships, same thing within a church relationship. We got to deal with our own Shilohs before we can go and take care of this here. I, I, I just want to end with this question. Is there anything that God has already dealt with you about, about which God has already dealt with you, that you're yet to do anything about it? because I don't know what effects are coming in your life. But you're not ready for the problems that arise until you deal with the problems that are deep in the heart. And if God has spoken to you about something, He's serious about it. And you need to take action on it. Let's stand together here tonight. We need more than a token of His presence. More than a symbol of His presence. More than an appearance of His presence. We need to know the reality of His presence. And the only way you can know and have a real relationship with Him 
is when he who is light in whom is no darkness, when he deals with you about sin in your life, that you deal with it. And if you deal with it, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive it and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you'll continue to have defeat in your life if there's sin in the camp, just like it was in the days of Achan and just like it was in the days of Hophni and Phinehas. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd use this message here tonight where necessary to confront a, a problem perhaps that you've already dealt with or, or, dear God, to deal with a, an attitude of the heart or an action of the life that, that needs to be addressed. Lord, I thank you for the way that you confront us through your word. And you help us to prepare for the battles ahead by dealing with the problems within. And so God, I pray that you'd help us here tonight just to be open to what your word says and allow you to confront us where you need to confront us for the sake of what is good and right, your word going forward in this church being strong. I pray God that you'd cleanse us, purge us from deep within, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Page 255, Is Thy Heart Right With God? So appropriate here tonight. We'd consider that. As Brother Aaron leads us, some have already responded. Would you come? Let's just, let's just turn aside here. Let's not be in a hurry and say, God, you dealt with me. I want to respond as we sing page 255.